If you guys want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 and 4 tonight. Proverbs chapter 3 and 4. Um, you know, I mentioned we're going to try to do two chapters of Proverbs for each of our Bible studies this year. That way, we should get through the entirety of Proverbs by the end of the year. So, some of the chapters are longer than others. These are two of the longer chapters, so we've got to buckle up. But I, there's a lot of really great nuggets in, in these chapters of, of Proverbs, and I think as we hear them and listen to them and chew on them as we leave, that God will really bless us. So let me just pray as, as, we, as we open the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you the entrance of your word brings light to each and every soul here this evening. I thank you, Lord, that we are people who rejoice in your word tonight, Lord, and we see the fruit of your word in effect in our lives as we, as we receive it, Lord, gladly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen all right. Well, if you guys can remember from, from January, as we had the introduction to Proverbs, Proverbs is made up of seven collections of sayings. It's kind of like how one of the Proverbs says, wisdom has built her seven pillars. Well, the book of Proverbs itself has seven pillars, which are seven different collections of sayings. The first collections of sayings is the first nine chapters of Proverbs, which is really called a prologue. And what it is, is it's, it's unlike the rest of Proverbs because it's ten lectures by a father to a son and two lectures from wisdom herself, wisdom personified, about why we need to be people who are instructed in the ways of wisdom. And so uh, when we were looking at Proverbs chapter 1 and 2, we've already seen how the father has given two lectures to his son and how Lady Wisdom has already given one lecture to us. And this evening we're going to see a lot more lectures from the Father to the Son in chapters 3 and 4. And really, it's all about the importance of why we need to listen to wisdom and receive wisdom so we can live ultimately a life of wisdom and see the fruits of wisdom in our life. So Proverbs 3, it opens with the third lecture of the Father to the Son. And um, really, it begins with the instruction of a human father, and it ends with the instruction of the heavenly father. And this is how it opens, Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, my Torah, my instruction. Do not forget my law, my instruction. But let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace, shalom, wholeness, well-being. They will add to you. So the first thing he says is, do not forget my law, meaning his teaching, his instruction. One thing God does throughout the entirety of Scripture, how many know, is he calls his people to be in remembrance. And uh, one way, in fact, he does this, uh, and he helps the people literally understand this, to be in remembrance, is how he tells them to uh, put tassels on all of their clothing. I want to read a verse that's from Numbers 15:39. It says this, you will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. So basically, what this uh, chapter of Numbers is saying is that Israelites would have tassels at the end of their garments that would have a blue cord in them, and every time they saw those tassels at the end of their garments. They were to remember all of the Heavenly Father's instruction, to remember His covenantal promises. It's kind of like how, you know, spouses, what, what do they wear? They wear rings, right, on their ring finger. 
And every time they look at that ring, they are to be reminded of their covenant with their spouse, of their love for their spouse, of their faithfulness to their spouse. It, it was the same way when Israel entered into a covenant with God. God gave them a, a symbol to look at to remind them of his covenant and to remind them of his teaching. Throughout the prophets, God called on his people to remember everything he had done for them in the past, right? Especially bringing them out of Egypt and into the promised land. Psalm 103, we all know Psalm 103, uh, verse 1 says, Forget not all his benefits, right? Constantly be in remembrance of not just his instruction, but his benefits, his mercy towards you. Um, to follow the instruction of the Father ultimately is to honor the Father. It is to keep the fifth commandment, which says this, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is given you. So notice the blessing that comes with honoring the father here. Length of days and long life. That is exactly what Proverbs 3, 2 says, will be added to the son if he keeps the commands of his father. In fact, Paul, when he's instructing Christians, right, you and me, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, what does he do? He quotes Exodus 20, 12 as being the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. And then he says, you know, we're to honor our father and mothers so that we might have a long life and, um, you know, length of days and long life. And um, so, you know, God, here's the thing. Um, Proverbs 3, 1 also says that it's what to keep his commands. Is it just this sort of like... Uh, angry obedience? No, it says we're to, to, to let your heart keep my commands. Let your heart keep my commands. It's supposed to be a joyful obedience. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says a Christian is someone who obeys, not just in terms of outward action, but it's someone who obeys from the heart. So Proverbs is, is, is very concerned with the heart throughout the entirety of the book. God doesn't simply want obedience for obedience's sake. Rather, he wants a loving obedience. He wants a son who loves him and says, yeah, my father knows what's best for me to do, and so I'm going to listen to my father's instruction. This is why the proverb says that above all else, we're to guard our hearts, as we'll see in the next chapter of Proverbs. And if we do, we have shalom. We have peace. We have well-being, because he knows what's best for us. Let's look at verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. That word there in Hebrew, mercy, it's actually the word hesed. Hesed, what is hesed? It's loving kindness. It's grace, right? And so we are called to have grace and truth here it says, woven into our lives, both inwardly and outwardly, to have grace and truth written on our hearts, to have grace and truth like a golden necklace that we adorn on our neck, right? Ultimately, this is simple, simply a picture that inwardly and outwardly, to use the language of Paul, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the one who is full of grace and, and truth. Every day... We are called to live in light of who we are in Jesus Christ, to trust Christ, to live out his word. And when we do, guess what? When you, when you have a totally different 
perspective on life and are living in light of who you are in Christ Jesus and have put on Jesus Christ, guess what? You're going to have favor and high esteem in the sight of both God and man. People are going to see there's something different about you. And guess what? There's going to be a promotion in your life, kind of like there was with Joseph, kind of like there was with Daniel. It's kind of like Jesus when he was little. It says in, in Luke 2.52 that he, he grew in stature and wisdom and favor both with God and man. That's who we can be because Christ is inside of us. So we are to adorn our heart, write grace and truth on our heart and adorn it around our neck. What does it say next? Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. <laughs> in all your ways I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, this verse is maybe the most famous verse in Proverbs, right? And it simply is the ABCs of faith, that God wants us to fully rely on Him. This word trust here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The word trust, it literally means throw oneself down upon the face. It's the idea of a complete yielding, of laying prostrate before the Master's feet. Trust, fall prostrate before Him with all your heart. To lean on something means that you're relying on it. Well, God wants us to lean on Him in everything we do rather than our own thoughts and our feelings. Why? Because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. To lean on God means that we fully trust His Word. It's like Jesus says about the Word of God. He says in John 10, 35, the Word of God cannot be broken. If Jesus believed the Word of God could not be broken, that's good enough for me. I'm going to lean on His Word in every situation. We acknowledge Christ in us. We live from His life, and we move forward in faith in every situation in life. It says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Now other translations put it, translate it like this. Know Him in all your ways. The Hebrew word here for acknowledge has to do more with one's experience of God rather than simply comprehension of doctrine. Basically, we could say it means this. In all your ways, acquaint yourself with God who is with you. As you consult His Word, as you experience His presence, He will guide you. Trust Him. Lean on Him. Live from Him. And your life will have direction. Okay? In all your ways, acknowledge Him means, God, you're with me. God, you're giving me wisdom. God, I thank you, Lord. You direct me to your word where I need to go. God, thank you for speaking to me. Thank you that your sheep hear your voice. Thank you for directing my steps. Okay? In all your ways. All right? Nothing's too small for God. Nothing's too big. Proverbs 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. <laughs> Fear the Lord and depart from evil. What is the beginning of wisdom? Proverbs 1, 7. Fear the Lord. And what will it be? Verse 8. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You know, one of the themes throughout the book of Proverbs is this. Stay far away from pride. The beginning of wisdom is to stop trusting yourself and your own foolish thoughts and to start trusting God and His perfect and holy thoughts. And so those who have a proper awe, who have a proper respect, who have a holy fear of the Lord, they will depart from evil. And as we do walk in the ways of the Lord, rather than our own ways, we will experience 
the blessed life that God desires for us. We will experience health and strength. It says, health to your flesh, strength to your bones. We will have health inwardly and outwardly. We will begin to shine as a star amidst a wicked and perverse generation. Humility, not being wise in our own eyes, and following the ways of Christ, it leads to a blessed, healthy, strong, vibrant life. Bruce Walke, who's uh, an expert on Proverbs, his, he's got a commentary that's over a thousand pages. He, I like what he said about this verse. He says, in sum, a right relationship with God leads to a state of complete physical and psychological well-being, not simply to the absence of illness, right? No, rather, it's the infusion of life in us, God's life. Communities that have an awe and reverence for Jesus Christ will see a drastic decrease in mental disorders, in ill health, in addiction to drugs, in addiction to therapists. God will be their wholeness, all right? You know, it's amazing how much of all that stuff we have in our nation. What is the solution? What is the answer? Well, the answer is right here. An awe and reverence of the Heavenly Father, a trusting in His Word. That's the answer. Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When we trust the Lord with all our hearts and we're not wise in our own eyes, um, you know, guess what we're going to do? We're going to honor Him with the first fruits of our increase. What would the Israelites do? Well, they would bring the first fruits of all of their increase to the priests, to the tabernacle, wherever they lived, to the synagogues. Um, they would bring the first fruits, whether from their crops or the firstborn from their flocks and herds. It was a way of showing tribute to their Lord, God Almighty. And the New Testament says that these sorts of things were examples for you and me. So we seek to see Christ's church built up, um, you know, by following the principle of the first fruit. You know, it says, honor the Lord with the first fruit of all your increase. While in an agricultural sense this meant the literal first fruit of their grain and produce, it is also figuratively could mean whatever blessing or income stream comes into our life, right? Because most people even in ancient Israel didn't have an agricultural occupation. That whenever we receive a blessing, we should first lay aside part of it to the Lord as an act of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's, it's sort of like the principle of the tithe, right? Kind of like when uh, Jacob... You know, he made a promise to the Lord in Genesis 28, verse 22. He said, of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Meaning, whatever increase I have of all my increase, I'm going to give a first fruit of it back to you. And as we continue to honor the Lord with what he has so graciously given us, he promises to continue to take care of us, even in abundant ways, right? He says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Notice how it's in the plural. Your barns, plural. <laughs> your vats, plural. Right? It, 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 it's, it's speaking of abundance. It's kind of like how, how, how Jesus has given, it will be given unto you good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Right? <laughs> Jesus is using this image, this illustration of barns and vats and abundance. It's like what it says in Malachi, in Malachi 3 verse 10. 
Bring all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, or the floodgates of heaven, and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. You know, when we honor the Lord with the first fruits of increase, we never need to be in worry, we never need to be in fear, we never need to be in concern. We have a Father who takes care of all of our needs. Proverbs 3.11 says this, My son, do not despise the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. You know, this verse is quoted in the New Testament, is quoted in Hebrews chapter 12. And, and Jesus says something similar when he's writing to the church uh, in Laodicea. He says this in, in Revelation 3.20, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Guess who's chastening? God Almighty, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know, the chastening done by the Lord here and throughout much of Scripture is a verbal chastening and correction. Now, when we do suffer from walking down the path of folly and suffer the fruit of our own sinful actions, in some ways we can see that too as a chastening of the Lord, for the Lord has allowed us to experience the fruit of our own foolish ways, that we might cry out to Him and turn back to Him. And we should rejoice, and however the Lord corrects us, we should say, Rejo I'm rejoicing because He loves me, so He's correcting me, right? Say, hallelujah, right? I'm going to fall at your feet again, prostrate, I'm going to... Trust in the Lord with all my heart. Um, for it shows that God really loves us and wants to see us go down the right path. So, I tell you what, if you have children that you love, correct them. And they'll love you in the future for correcting them. Okay? Jesus said that what? He is the vine and the Father is who? The vine dresser. And what does the vine dresser do? It prunes, it prunes the branches, right? Who are we? We're the branches. Why? So we can be more fruitful. Why? Because the Father wants to see us bearing much fruit, and that's how He is pleased. And you'll be pleased, too, when you're bearing much fruit. So say, Heavenly Father, prune me. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the next part of Proverbs 3 is another lecture by the Father to the Son. It's the fourth lecture in the prologue. And we might call this lecture the value of wisdom. Let's read uh, Proverbs 3, 13 through 18. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Other translations say it like this. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and blessed are all who retain her. You know, we need a right perspective of wisdom's value if we are going to desire and search for wisdom. So the father, what does he do? He paints a picture of the big-time blessed life, kind of like how Jabez says, bless me big-time he, he paints this picture of a big-time blessed life for his sons. What is, comes with wisdom, son? I'll tell you what comes with it. Length of days, 
we, we don't even think about that just carnally in terms of like living to pass 100. Length of days in terms of eternal life, riches, honor, pleasantness. Again, we got to think of these both in the material and spiritual sense. Peace, tree of life, happiness, all this comes from wisdom. So go after her, son. Go after wisdom. Don't you want a life like that? Go after her. What does it mean to go after her? It means internalize the wisdom that is in the word that I'm giving to you, son. The fact, um, you know, in fact, the riches wisdom offers are better and far more than material riches, right? They're, it says here they are better than silver, they are better than gold, they are better than rubies. Wisdom gives the quality of life that no money can buy, right? The father is saying, son, you can be more rich than Elon Musk, right? You can be richer than Bill Gates. You can be richer than Warren Buffett, than whoever the richest people are in the world, right? You can be richer than all of them because her proceeds are far better than gold. What does she give? She gives contentment. Not every rich person is content. A lot of them aren't. She gives joy inexpressible and full of glory. She gives peace that passes understanding and many other heavenly virtues that simply can't be experienced by those who are solely materially rich. Their riches fade. Their riches rust. They die. They have no length of days unless they know Christ. Proverbs 3.19 says this, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. <laughs> yes, okay? By wisdom, he founded the earth. You know, you go to our schools today and they say the exact opposite, right? Our schools, they brainwash our children to believe that the world was just the result of a random chaotic explosion. That life just sparked out of nowhere. That there is such thing as abiogenesis. Life just came up and there's complex evolution. Just believe us, kids. But all of that is nonsense. And it is a way of trying to skirt around the truth that God is the master designer of the cosmos from the smallest atoms to the largest galaxies. Everything is complexly woven together to glorify the Lord and magnify who He is. We could have a whole sermon series just on how ordered the heavens and earth are by God's wisdom. The symbiosis in all the different ecosystems, the factory-like structure of cells and DNA, the incredible balance of all the laws of nature that allow life to exist and thrive in the first place. All of this is the work of an all-wise creator, and he has left his imprint on all of creation in many different ways. In fact, recently I was watching a video uh, about New discoveries simply in DNA. You know, we're constantly having new discoveries of things that are blowing scientists' minds. And now you're a fool to be an atheist. But one, one of this discovery in DNA, it, it shows how God's imprint of his name is on the entirety of existence. yod Hey vav Hey, that's God's name, right? Yod is the tenth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, hey is the fifth letter. Vav is the sixth letter. And then Hey is the fifth letter. And what they found is that there are sulfur bridges in the midst of every single atom 
that has this code. That every 10, then 5, then 6, then 5, then 10, then 5, then 6, then 5, there is a sulfur bridge in our DNA. That God's name, essentially, is inscribed at the level of our DNA. He literally has his imprint everywhere. Why? Because as Paul says in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. He is the designer of literally everything you see. Everything is held together by him. One example the Proverbs gives about the wisdom of God in the created world is that the clouds drop down the dew. You know, dew was very important to Israel. Seeing that they would have largely rainless summers there, the land was dependent on dew that would come during the night. The moisture was a great awe for those people. Just one example of God's manifold wisdom in his created world. So whenever we look at nature, what should it cause us to do? It should cause us to be in awe and reverence of God. Always. We should have science textbooks that teach our kids every time they go to school to be in awe and reverence of God and of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3, verse 21 says this, My son, let them not depart from your eyes, keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Wow. That sounds like a blessed life. You know, one of the fruits of living a life of wisdom is simply heavenly peace. A lot of people are in turmoil all the time. What is this saying? You don't, you don't ever need to be in turmoil about anything. Verse 24 says, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. You will have sweet sleep. What does this say? It says, You can sleep like a baby, right? Think about Peter, right? James was just killed. They throw Peter in prison. He's chained between two soldiers. The next morning, they're going to kill him. What is he doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping so much, the angel has to come and hit him to wake him up. Say, let's get out of here, Peter. Why, he had sweet sleep at a time where the world would say you've got to be in the most turmoil. How about Jesus, right? He's on the Sea of Galilee. The, the waves are coming into the boats. All these expert fishermen are saying they're going to die. And where's Jesus? He's in the stern, asleep on a pillow. He's like, why are you guys so afraid? We can have that sort of peace in the storms of life when we simply are, uh, have our hearts established in his grace and truth, in his wisdom, in his ways. We never need to be riled up by the devil, right? Say, no, devil, I'm at perfect peace. I'm not going to get concerned like you want me to be. I'm trusting the Lord. The father continues the speech in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will have it, when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with a man without cause. If he has done you no harm. Paul, uh, to the Galatians, he says that we are, um, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. And, and these sorts of principles from, from Galatians, from Proverbs here, is really drawn from the law itself in Exodus 23, verse 4, says this, Exodus 23, 4, 
If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Your friend's ox? No, your enemy's ox. Verse 5. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. <laughs> this is how God has always wanted his people to act. If it is in our power to help our neighbor, even if they are our enemy, we should. This is the point of Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, right? The priest and Levite, what do they do? They see the man lying half dead on the side of the ground and they pass him by. They shouldn't have. He could have died. But it was an enemy of his, a Samaritan, who helped him out. If we see someone lying half dead on the road, we should stop to see that they find help. That's basically what the Proverbs is saying here. To be living by wisdom is to have a care and concern for all people dwelling in our hearts. Let me say that again. To be living by wisdom is to have a care and concern for all people dwelling in our hearts. We should love our neighbors as ourselves. That is the second greatest commandment, right? We should follow Jesus' golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Verse 30 says, we should not strive with a man without cause, if they have done us no harm. Meaning what? Don't get involved in unnecessary quarrels. Romans 12 says, live peaceably with all men. Paul tells Timothy, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach and be patient. We must do our best to live at peace and love with our neighbors, even if they are our enemies, to return love for hate and good for evil. This is the path of wisdom. This is the ways that make for peace. This is the way that makes for a blessed life, son. Do this. He continues in verse 31, Proverbs 3.31. Do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsels with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Now, you know, when we, we see these categories of just and wicked, just and wicked, you know, in, in Romans 3, it says there's no one righteous, no, not one, right? And one of the good aspects of the new covenant and the good news is, is understanding that, yeah, we are actually, in many ways, we are part of that category of the wicked. But what have we been shown? We've been shown grace in Jesus Christ. He has come and taken the punishment we deserved upon that cross, right? So thank God for that. That is why we are just. That is why we are righteous. And, you know, in all, in all those things. And those who come to Christ and receive Christ, guess what? They experience the blessings here that are given to the just, that are given to the righteous. Now, it says here that God gives grace to the humble. That's verse 34. And that verse is quoted in the New Testament twice by both James and by Peter. You know, humility is a key characteristic of wisdom throughout Proverbs. Jesus' first beatitude is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, those who are lowly in spirit, those who are humble before the Lord, receive all that the Lord desires to give them. They live according to the riches of His grace. So, let us humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. I tell you what, I want, I want, the, I want, to, the, I want to live by the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I want to reign in life. Well, I'm not going to do it if I'm prideful. I'm going to do it if I'm humble. I'm going to do it by trusting in the Lord with all my heart and not leaning on my own understanding in, anymore, right? 
everything I do in all my ways, acknowledging Him. That, that's what it means to be humble. Saying, God, I know my pride's going to get in the way. Help me humble myself. Give me grace, wisdom. Let's move to the fourth chapter. The fourth chapter of Proverbs contains three of the Father's ten lectures in the prologue. And the first nine verses is a lecture about retaining the family heritage. He's basically saying, son, I'm giving you tried and true wisdom. I'm giving you tested wisdom. The stuff I'm telling you, that's just stuff that your granddaddy told me. And look how blessed my life is. So let's read it. Proverbs 4, verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. The father, he's essentially saying, right, here, <laughs> pay attention, boy, right? You know, I think there are many times where parents can become discouraged by their children's resistance to what, they, to what they're telling them, right? They might see their child roll their eyes. They might see them not listening, not being attentive. Their sluggishness might tempt the parent just to not want to give any more instruction. But we must not give in to that temptation. When we know we are giving good doctrine, we should speak with confidence, we should speak with boldness, just like the Father is doing here. Children need to see that we are convinced of the truth that we are sharing with them, and we are concerned to see that truth instilled in their hearts. So the Father continues in verse 3, he says this, When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, now he gives the grandfather speech, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forsake nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. <laughs> so basically he's saying, this is what my father said to you. Everything that I've been saying to you, right? So, the, um, basically, the father is showing his son that I'm giving you proven wisdom, time-tested wisdom. Take on the family heritage, son. And just as the father is concerned with the son's heart, so the grandfather was concerned primarily with the status of the father's heart. He tells, the grandfather tells the father, let your heart retain my word, my words. You know, many parents in the world are concerned with their child's worldly success in life, right? But the Christian understands that the greatest success a child will make is not their success in the world, it's rather the success they make in their relationship with their Lord, right? Let your heart keep my commands. And I tell you what, if someone has those heavenly riches, it's far greater than a son who is a billionaire, right? And doesn't have those heavenly riches. In verse 6, the son is called to love wisdom. In verse 8, he's called to exalt it. The word exalt can be translated prize or cherish. It's a word that carries the idea of caressing or cuddling. 
So he's called to move from loving wisdom to cuddling up with it. Snuggle up real close to Lady Wisdom, right? Hold her tight. To show his affection for wisdom from his heart. And when he does that, then promotion and honor follow. Um, let's look at the next ten verses in Proverbs. This is the sixth lecture of the Father. Here, Proverbs 4, verse 10. Here my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they do not sleep unless they have done evil. And their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like a shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. <laughs> I like that. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. You know those images, light and darkness are picked up in the New Testament and used by many of the New Testament writers. Um, but before we get there, what is his first piece of advice? He says, do not enter the path of the wicked. Avoid it, do not travel it, turn away from it. The Father's basically saying, don't even take one step on the path of evil, son. <laughs> the farther down you go down that road, the more difficult it is to get off, son. So just stay clear of that path in general, right? Don't go over there. I don't want you to have the, the heartache of entering that road and then having to exit it. You know, the people on the path of evil are so addicted to their evil ways that they can't even sleep unless they carry out their evil schemes. In contrast to the sweet sleep of those who have laid hold of wisdom, the evil person can't sleep. They're like Judas who comes out at midnight, right? to arrest Jesus. They're like Caiaphas, who has an all-night trial just to get his ways completed with, uh, you know, crucifying Christ. At the end of this lecture, the Father presents two paths, right? The path of the just, he says, is like a bright, shining sun. In fact, it's a bright, shining sun that what? That shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. That's the path you and I are on. The just, who here is just in Christ, righteous in Christ? God doesn't want us stumbling through life. He's given us a path of a bright, shining sun. John says God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The resurrected Christ's countenance in Revelation chapter 1 is that it is the sun shining in all its strength. Paul told the Ephesians, you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Who hears the light of the Lord? You once were darkness, now you are the light of the Lord. Walk, he says, therefore, as children of light. He tells the Romans, because you are light in the Lord, put on the armor of light. The path of the righteous is a path of light which shines brighter and brighter, heading toward the day of an unceasing and eternal light, right? As John says, one day we will see, we, uh, when we see him, we will, we will be even as he is, right? 
So he who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. We stand on the path of light. We walk on the path of light knowing we're walking to the undying day. In contrast, the way of the wicked is darkness. Darkness in many different ways. It's a way of ignorance. Proverbs 4.19 says those on that path don't even know what makes them stumble. It is misery. There is an inner torment on the path of darkness, even if one thinks it is bringing them the most pleasure in life. And its ultimate end is misery and darkness, just like the ultimate end of the path of light is the never-ending day. The ultimate end of the path of darkness is the ever-ending night. Jesus regularly spoke of those who would be thrown into outer darkness, where there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who stray on the path of darkness do not love Jesus. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation that the light shone into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Later he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but they shall have the light of life. So my son, walk the path of light. Walk in the path of Jesus Christ. Look unto Jesus, of whom all the scriptures speak of, and follow him, son. And you'll walk into the undying day. The last portion of Proverbs um, 4 um, uh, the last part of the seventh lecture here is uh, verses 20 through 22. Let's read it. Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. When God's words are heeded, and they don't depart from our eyes or our heart. They are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. The Jubilee translation says they are medicine to all their flesh. When the doctor gives you instructions about how to take medicine, how often and how much, you know, most people follow their instructions closely. Why? Because we trust the doctor has an expertise in that particular medicine he's giving, right? We trust the doctor is studied and skilled in helping people, at least, you know, we should. They should be experts in it, right? They should. How much more do we need to take the instruction of our great physician who never makes mistakes? If the doctor says to take the medicine twice a day, people take the medicine twice a day. They want the medicine to have the most beneficial effect on them. Well, it's similar with scripture. Unless... We ingest the scripture, unless we open it, unless we meditate on it and chew it, it remains lifeless to us. It's not going to have a healthy effect on you. Proverbs says over and over that we must keep scripture before our eyes and deep within our heart, that it must be highly prized, and only in that way will it impart life to you. Right? If you just keep your vitamins on the outside, you're never going to have the health effect of the vitamins. They need to be on the inside. If we feed on the word, we will be vibrantly healthy on the inside and on the outside. The word is the best medicine. It's the best medicine, right? If we had, uh, the best doctor would be a doctor, you go there, and the first thing he would do would just give counsel, to the, counsel from the word of God. And he would just preach to you. And then you start feeling better. Then he'd give you instruction about fasting. You feel really good. Then you come in, he said, oh, I'm going to take you off this drug and this drug and this drug and this drug. Let me pray for you, right? 
And then maybe I'm going to put you on these vitamins. And maybe, maybe we'll put you on this for, for a little time. But we're going to have faith to get over that drug. That's what we need. All of our hospitals filled with doctors like that. All right. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Other translations say, guard your heart. Or watch over your heart with all diligence. What is he saying? We need to be attentive to our heart to make sure our affections are focused on the Lord. Jesus told the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, he said, I have this against you. You've left your first love. They were doing a lot of good things doctrinally. But he said, you weren't properly keeping watch over your heart. You've left your first love. Proverbs goes on to caution people against a hard heart and a proud heart. The book of Hebrews cautions us against an unbelieving heart. Jesus warns us about cold hearts. Our hearts are instead supposed to be tender, as Ephesians 4.32 says. They're supposed to be loving. They're supposed to be faith-filled. They're supposed to be zealous and warm and full of heat. For out of our heart flow all of our actions, as Jesus said. And if your heart is good, your actions are going to be good. So diligently guard your heart like a watchdog. God has given us a new heart when we come to Him, and He calls for you to watch over that new heart, to constantly feed it what it needs, to make sure our heart is set on things which are good, lovely, and Christ-honoring, to have grace and truth, like it said in the beginning of Proverbs chapter 3, written on our heart. Jesus Christ, written on our heart, where we're in love with Jesus. That's how you watch over your heart. Are you in love with Jesus? <laughs> Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, a curse be on anyone who does not love the Lord Jesus Christ. Proverbs continues in Proverbs 4, 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. If we have a good heart, guess what? All the other parts of your body are going to line up. In fact, these verses here, I think there's something like 11 different parts of the body mentioned. If our heart is guarded, then our mouth should speak holy things rather than unholy things, right? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. We're going to see that maybe the book of Proverbs might speak about our words more than anything else. Like a key to a life of wisdom is making sure that we're guarding what's coming out of our mouth. Um, in fact, after the man believes in the heart unto righteousness, Paul says in Romans, confession is made unto salvation out of our lips. He believes with his heart, then he confesses with his lips that Jesus is Lord. The believing of the heart, though, is the primary thing. Then confession will happen. You know, there's evil that lurks all around us in this life. It lurks all around us. This is why we're called to put on the full armor of God, right? 
because we're waging a war. This is why we're called to be pilgrims and sojourners, as Peter put it. In Jesus' words in, in John 17, he says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. So because of that, we need to make sure we're walking on a different path than everybody else around us, that we have a different guide, the Holy Spirit, His Word, that we're putting on the armor, and that we're, we're staying focused, right? <laughs> on what Jesus wants us to do in all of our ways, acknowledging Him, right? We have an awareness of the evil that is around us, but we have no desire to try or test it out. We have no desire to go down those dark, hard paths when grace and truth is written on our heart. Rather, we will be people who rejoice in the Lord at all times, who have the word dwelling in us richly and are singing to one another with grace in our hearts, and who are constantly trusting the Lord. We are on the path of the righteous with the righteous, enjoying their fellowship and encouragement, fighting the good fight of faith together. So the Father says the Son... Stay on that path, right? It's all you need. It's all you need. So, Father, we thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs chapter 3 and 4. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us would have just grace and truth inscribed on our heart, that we would wear it like a necklace around our neck, Lord, that we would put on the Lord Jesus, that in everything we do, we would acknowledge you. And I just thank you that you're going to direct our steps, Lord, that we're going to honor you in all of our ways, with the first fruits of all of our increase, Lord, with every just truth that are in all of these scriptures. I just thank you they come alive in our heart, Lord, that we experience what it means to be blessed, happy is the one who has found wisdom. May, may there just be complete joy in our lives, Lord, as our lives are rooted in your truth and in your wisdom. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. amen.